words on water. This episode is brought to you by Kimley Horn, a national full-service consulting firm providing a broad range of engineering, planning, and environmental services to public and private sector clients. They are consistently ranked by Engineering News Record as one of the top 500 U.S. design firms and were recently ranked on Fortune's 100 Best Companies to Work For list for the 14th year in a row. Their professionals understand the full life cycle of a project and partner with their clients through planning, design, permitting, and construction of a project. Kimley Horn's innovative project designs include collection, transmission, and treatment solutions throughout the U.S. Kimley Horn was awarded the ACAC Engineering Excellence Award and National Recognition Award in 2020 for their work with the PFAS treatment in Stewart, Florida. At the time of its completion, the system was the largest ion exchange treatment plant in the United States and the only one of its kind permitted and operating in Florida. To learn more about PFAS issues and treatment, visit www.kimley-horn.com forward slash PFAS hyphen problems question mark. Hi, welcome to Words on Water, a podcast from the Water Environment Federation. This is the host, Travis Loop. Going to tackle one of the hottest topics in water and in the environment uh, these days, and that is PFAS. Now, there's always new information emerging and new trends to talk about and new technology to explore. I'm very happy to be joined by three guests for this episode from Kimley Horn. I have Mark Miller, Senior Water Treatment Specialist, Uma Vampati, Senior Project Manager of Integrated Water Solutions, and Tanya Miro, Senior Marketing Specialist for Water and Wastewater. So glad all three of you could be here for this episode. Uma, from your perspective, what what's really the big concern or concerns about PFAS? Travis, you are absolutely correct that uh, there have been many conversations about PFAS and it became a hot topic and a priority for many stakeholders in the water sector. It is probably the complex environmental challenge facing the facing not only the water sector but uh, many industries. I live in Minneapolis St. Paul area right in my backyard, there are many communities that are dealing with the PFAS contaminated groundwater. Scientists are still learning about the health effects of exposure to PFAS, but the exposure could result in some severe health effects, such as um, reduction in uh, immunity system and increase in the risk of cancer, etc. In the recent past, uh, we have been uh, talking about the PFAS and its health effects and how we can treat for PFAS in drinking water. However, the PFAS chemicals are introduced at the beginning of the wastewater cycle, not the water cycle. So in my opinion, how we deal with PFAS in the wastewater treatment is an important, is as important, if not more, 
than how we deal with PFAS in the water treatment. In my opinion, the ideal thing we can ask for is whether there are chemicals that, uh, that can give us the benefits of PFAS, but not all the side effects. Can they be uh, replaced or used in the industries instead of PFAS chemicals? Of course, you know, that is out of our control, right? So, but if we can manage the pretreatment programs, manage the wastewater treatment, manage the biosolids, I think we can control the PFAS contamination on the drinking water side as well. And that is exactly what uh, EPA is doing now. Uh, they are going to focus more on the wastewater effluent discharges and pretreatment programs. So, Travis, uh, today we are going to talk a little bit about how PFAS can affect our wastewater plants and uh, what we can do to stay in front of the regulatory policy. One of the things I, I think is important is to take a look at specific stories and specific projects and examples. It really helps illustrate the issues with PFAS. Uh, I understand you all have worked on, on the Stewart project, which has a, has a big PFAS story. Can you talk a little bit about that project and the, and the contamination issues? Yes, Travis. Uh, city of uh, Stewart, Florida is actually known for tourism, actually called the selfish capital of the world. And they really have no industry in that area that, that produces or manufactures PFAS. But they are one of the three cities in the state of Florida that were notified back in 2016 when the health advisory came out of 70 part per trillion for PFAS that they exceeded that. And so they had to quickly react to, to that notification. They actually have a trifecta of PFAS contamination that includes a fire rescue facility where they practice and utilize firefighting foam, an airport where they used to have burn pits, and an unlined landfill that also has contributed to some of these PFAS contaminations. And through that also, we've learned that, you know, in touches on wastewater is, you know, they recharged some of their well fields with reclaimed water where some of the wastewater uh, source came from. So when we first got involved in 2016, conducted pilot testing, evaluated some advanced treatment systems because a lot of conventional treatment just doesn't provide any, any removal of PFAS from, from water sources. We fast-tracked the design of a facility while conducting site assessment of the contaminated site that was contributing to most of the PFAS contamination and quickly established some treatment goals that were similar to other state standards because a lot of the states have kind of taken it upon themselves to, to tighten up the, the PFAS uh, levels because they feel that some of the EPA levels are too high. Some of the project funding came from um, self-revolving loans uh, because no utility really plans for something like this. This kind of was thrown onto them. And we're currently con um, conducting ongoing site assessment or remediation that uses the remediation action plan as a full-scale ion exchange treatment system, which is actually the largest treatment system at the time back in 2019 to remove PFAS from their groundwater using a combination of ion exchange and granular activated carbon that removes PFAS to you know, 100 to 200 part per trillion down to non-detect. System actually been operating for nearly two years, uh, lowering their PFAS contamination to less than five down to non-detect. Uh, one of the challenges with that project is some of these resins or GAC can't be regenerated and you have to dispose of them. And currently, 
disposal of spent resin and, and material is a challenge. A lot of landfills are not taking material just because of the heightened issues with regulations, and they've leaned more towards incinerators. And that also um, is, is a challenge because some of the incineration processes are questionable whether they destroy PFAS completely. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the ongoing things we're still doing with the city is conducting profiling of, of PFAS throughout the system. And one of the long-term solutions is to pull water from another groundwater supply. So that's one of the interesting projects that we've worked with the city of Stewart. Yeah, like I said, very interesting to look at how communities are dealing with the situation. Um, there's certainly a lot of similarities and, and similar approaches, but there's also tremendous variability as you go from, from place to place based on geography and source of contamination and a whole lot of other factors. One of the things uh, that's you know been announced in the past is EPA's involvement with PFAS and, and forming a council for PFAS. Um, I think there's some idea of how this committee affects water quality, but how do you all see it affecting the wastewater sector? Sure. Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, it seems to me that uh, EPA is moving very quickly and uh, expediting its actions on the PFAS issues. Uh, Tanya and Mark, uh, do, do you guys agree? I do agree. I, I see. Um, I just actually sat on a uh, informative session today with the Interstate Technology and Regulatory Council, where um, they're teaming with EPA and DOD and FDA um, to really take a hard look at the environmental impact of PFAS. So not only in water and wastewater, but how it's affecting the environmental as a whole, and really collecting data um, so that they can help expedite um, the regulations of these contaminants. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So basically, you know, uh, like like I shared with you uh, for the previous question, you know, EPA has been working on the drinking water uh, sector, and then uh, you know they they are they are ready to formulate, uh, develop the national primary drinking water regulation. In addition to that, EPA and and this council uh, are going to focus on the wastewater discharges now, Uh, similar to how they are going to collect data from the drinking water source under the UCMR5, uh, they are driven to collect new data to understand PFAS chemicals in the wastewater. Um, With the advanced uh, notice of proposed rulemaking, EPA is going to uh, solicit data and facility information from manufacturers in the organic chemicals, plastics, and synthetic fiber industries now. So this data will be used to amend the wastewater discharge requirements of the industries to include the PFAS compounds. So that means the pretreatment programs are going to change. You can expect some enforceable limits regulating PFAS discharges from thousands of industry industrial facilities and the municipal wastewater treatment facilities that accept that industrial wastewater. Obviously, the wastewater treatment plants can act as a conduit for the PFAS chemicals to the environment through the effluent discharges and the land application of biosolids. So here, uh, Mark, I, I just want to tap into uh, your expertise and what you're doing in uh, Stewart, Florida. Um, I understand that uh, you, uh, the Stewart, Florida, actually reuses 
the water after the treatment. Uh, can you share a little bit about that and uh, what you are seeing and what you are learning on the wastewater side? Yeah, a lot of the we we use reclaim water for irrigation supply, but a lot of that irrigation, you know, as it's used, gets back down in the groundwater and then creates another contaminated source. So what we're also doing is is profiling kind of where the PFAS sources come from, which then leads to, you know, do we improve their industrial waste program or notification of different customers that send uh, wastewater to their facility so they can at least monitor and gaze or understand where it comes from because you know without that information there in, in regulations that come up and change or or you know contaminant levels that have been established that they're not prepared for that in fact we're doing that for a couple of municipalities in florida to kind of figure out where the main sources are so if they do need to enhance their industrial waste program uh, for their wastewater plant then they can at least be prepared for that when it comes out yeah yeah on the other hand some of the primacy agencies, you know, um, one in Minnesota, where I'm from, but also in some other states such as Maine and Michigan, uh, they are uh, taking the initiative to coming, uh, come up with the programs and plans to do to uh, basically deal with the PFAS issues on the wastewater side. You know, some of the couple of examples from uh, Michigan and uh, Maine, these states are identifying the sources of PFAS within the wastewater treatment system to control or basically eliminate them at the source. Um, Preliminarily, uh, they are implementing industrial pretreatment programs to uh, control PFAS at the source. They're also seeing some great results in reducing the PFAS inputs to the wastewater treatment because of that. Uh, And then uh, the same thing, and on the other hand, biosolids and how uh, PFAS accumulates in biosolids uh, is also reducing. Also, uh, they are enforcing the testing of biosolids for PFAS prior to land application. Uh, if the PFAS concentrations are above the threshold, then the biosolids are considered uh, like industrially impacted and they cannot uh, land apply at the time. So I believe this is going to change how the wastewater treatment plants are going to manage their operations. Mm. Any thoughts, Mark? Yeah, I mean, in fact, in fact, some of the states have restricted or eliminated, you know, land application of biosolids because they're just they're concerned about what's in, in that biosolids because no one's really prepared yet to identify those additional contaminants that that you know, and PFAS has thousands of different short chain, you know, short ultra, ultimate short chain, you know, mid mid range, all these different uh, formulations that that even some of the laboratories can't test for. So yeah, it's it's a concern now because of the unknown uh, distribution of PFAS to biosolids as well as the treated effluent. Yeah, yep. Well, you know, I mentioned EPA, you all mentioned some states, and so certainly there's a regulatory activity underway and um, some regulations being put in place, others being developed. Um, You know, what do you think municipalities and facility operators should be thinking of in preparation for regulations you know understanding that you don't have the exact answers you guys right now know exactly what those regulations are going to say but if you speculate a little bit here what kind of preparation um you know might people want to be thinking of and, and doing sure that's a great question travis 
um, the best place to address, like, like we're talking about, the best place to address any contaminants, including PFAS, is at the source. Um, and then as I mentioned, um, EPA is working on the upcoming regulations regarding the industrial pretreatment programs. That means municipalities eventually need to change their pretreatment programs to reflect the EPA regulations, like Mark mentioned. So keeping an eye on the regulation is an uh, important thing for the municipalities. In the meantime, uh, municipalities can figure out uh, what are the sources of PFAS in their collection system, figure out what are the levels of PFAS coming into uh, the, their wastewater treatment facilities. So basically look at complete information gathering exercise um, it wouldn't be a bad idea. The next best place to address the PFAS issue is obviously at the wastewater treatment plants, uh, you know, both at the liquid treatments and the solid solids treatment, so that uh, they can remove them from the circulation in the water cycle. So uh, developing and uh, continuously reviewing the uh, sampling methods, sampling protocols, and sampling locations uh, throughout the wastewater plant is the key. Mm -hmm. and, so, and not being, oh, I'm sorry, not being afraid to communicate and share that information um, back to our regulatory agencies. That is a vital part of this. Um, it reminds me of the SSOs when we were trying to get in front of, you know, Greece and how do we uh, communicate with our partners in the community um, and all these stakeholders involved. Um, so we wanna make sure that not only are we testing our processes, but that we're sharing that information that's gathered. I know that Mark had experienced um, in Stewart that, you know, how do we share out this information now that we have it? How do we help the state of Florida um, lay down some policies and, you know, get that criteria? Um, we've got to be able to want to share that information so that we can get ahead of it. Last question I had for you all is kind of about your direct experience there with Kimley Horn and how you're seeing this contaminant PFAS affecting your clients and, and other disciplines. So interestingly enough, um, EPA has kind of banned and joined forces with all of the other regulatory agencies you know, within the U.S. And um, much like that, Kimley Horn has banned together with all of the disciplines within our, our engineering firm. Um, we're seeing this affect aviation. We're seeing this affect land development and surface water. And, um, you know, we very much want to get ahead of it. So we've taken this very seriously. And we have um, trained a task force throughout all of the various disciplines within the firm so that we can help address all of our clients' issues. We have a, a, a hotline for PFOS that our clients can contact. Um, they can you know, locate that on our website and reach out to us and somebody within their discipline will immediately um, contact back to them to help answer any questions. You know, we definitely have seen that this contaminant is unprecedented. It's, it's something that we're going to, um, it's not going away. It is called the forever chemical for a reason, right? And so um, we're definitely looking at all of the various avenues and how we can address this 
throughout all the various facets of our industry. Uh, like I said at the top, this is such a, a big issue, a complex issue, and an ever-evolving issue. So I really appreciate the three of you kind of sharing the latest from your perspective, some great examples and some great insights. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Words on water.